Well, welcome to my home. I'm so grateful that you've joined us this Sunday morning. And on behalf of my wife and Shelby who are helping me record today, hopefully you enjoy this service coming right out of my living room. I'd love to give you a little bit of an update about the church over the last few weeks and mainly the financial update so that you know where we're at uh, with the money and the giving. March 15th, we did our first online service and since that point, uh, our giving has been good if not at budget level and we're grateful for that. The other things that you should know, Heidi gave me some information that more people are giving as a whole, which is important for us to build the kingdom of God. The more people to give, the better we can serve the kingdom of God. And the other thing that you should know is online giving has increased dramatically. We've gone from uh, about a 30% to an 80% of the people giving online. It's a safe and secure place to do it. Me and my family have been doing it for over 10 years. And recently we switched to the text to tithe and it's been an awesome platform for us to give. We're thankful that your giving has been impactful for the church and the kingdom of God. The other thing that you need to know is we've had some benevolence requests by people in the church and other families that have had a little bit more have given to suffice those needs. And that's truly how the kingdom of God should work. One family has a need, another family solves that need, and that's really loving one person at a time. And that's the mission of our church. April's giving is uh, on track to meet our budgets. So if we keep going in this path, we're going to be successful and we're going to make it through this season. So thumbs up. Well done, good and faithful servants. Well, Easter has passed and I wanted to kind of etch in your mind a couple things as we've gone through this Easter sermon series, King for All. Number one is Christ exchanged our lives for his life. Christ took our life and exchanged it for his life. So we must exchange our lives for his life. We now become the hands and feet of God and we do his work on this earth to grow the kingdom of God. A pastor at North Coast said this, he said, we are saved to save others. In Genesis, it says we are blessed so that we can be a blessing to others. That's the essence of that King for All sermon series. And now we're going to go into a new sermon series. It's called Faith Works. But before we get started, if you haven't got a Bible yet, we'd love to get a Bible in your hands. If you're new to Christianity, if you're new to faith, or you just need a Bible, will you go to our website and fill out that Connect card and give us a good, healthy address that we can get it to you? To, and we would love to mail you a new Living Translation Bible so that you can join us as we grow in our faith with God. This new sermon series is called Faith Works. And here's really the quote that I want to use throughout this sermon series. It says this, my faith works best when it's my sole focus. When, when I have a sole focus on Jesus Christ, that's when my faith works best. When I'm working on my right relationship with God and it's my sole focus, all these things in my life work out the way that God wants them to because my sole focus is on Him and He does what's best for me. This is how God wants us to think. This is how God wants us to feel. And this is how God wants us to react each and every day. How do we know that? The Bible tells us in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God. So here's the point that I need to get into your mind. My faith works best when it's my sole focus. Now, I want to uh, talk about uh, James and the book of James, because that's where we're going to go through uh, over the next several weeks. We're going to open up the book of James and study it so that we can grow in our faith, so that our faith will work for us. There are many Jameses in the Bible 
Two of them we spoke about this summer in our sermon series called The Apostles. So if you want to go back online, you can look at the podcast and you can listen to uh, James, son of Zebedee, and James Alpheus, or the lesser, so that you can have a better understanding on who those two are. But really, there's another James, and this is James, and, and we would call him Jesus' brother. Many, if not most theologians, believe this book was written by Jesus' brother. Uh, an interesting fact about Jesus' brother, James, is he became a believer after the resurrection. So that first Easter Sunday was really impactful for him as well. He be became a believer because of that resurrection. And he believed in his, uh, Jesus and he became a leader and they called him a pillar of the church. Galatians chapter 2 verse 9 says James was a pillar and a leader and a great communicator of the church. He was probably one of the lead pastors and we see that in Acts 15 when he kind of brings together the council and makes some decrees to go out to all the churches in the, in the community and in the world. His name was also James the Just. He was known as one to be just and that's, uh, that's an important fact as we get to know James and understand what he was writing in his book. His book was written in 45 AD, maybe on the upwards of 50 AD. It was about 12 years after Christ ascended into heaven. And an interesting fact about James was in 60, uh, 62 AD, he was stoned to death. And we know that by a man named Josephus, who was a Jewish scholar and a historian. And he wrote about how James was stoned to death and uh, how the other apostles died in their lives as well. The book of James is a practical uh, outline on how we are to walk as Christians. It deals with faith and wisdom throughout the five chapters in the book of James. It's remarkable how it syncs up with the Sermon on the Mount. It's very similar. The Sermon on the Mount had a lot of small little tidbits of wisdom, and James has that as well. And it helps us grow in our faith and wisdom with Christ. It's really a Christian tool for us to learn how to live better in our walk with Jesus Christ. The book of James is a tool to help us live out a practical life with Jesus Christ. So if you open up your Bible, we're going to start on James chapter 1, verse 1. Now James is right after Hebrews and it's before 1 Peter. So let's just open it up and read. And if you don't know where it's at, look at your table of contacts. Maybe hit pause and go get your Bible and let's read together and see what it says. Verse 1 says, This is a letter from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm writing to the twelve tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. Greetings. Let's just take a moment and pray. Let's ask for God to do a great work within us. So let's pray right now. Father, we love you and we praise you and we ask for you to do a great work at this time. Lord, that you will speak and grow us in our faith. Give us wisdom so that we can practically walk in your ways. Bring salvation because of this message. Bring us a revelation from your heart, Lord, and transform us to be good, healthy Christians. Lord, speak to us right now and use this time so that we can grow in you. In your name, amen. Now, there's a lot that we can say on this first little verse in the, in the James chapter 1, but here's a couple things I want to kind of highlight. First of all, this book was written to Jewish believers scattered abroad. If you know your church history, in Acts chapter 8, there was persecution because of the stoning of Stephen. 
and the church scattered because of the persecution. And in Acts chapter 9, Saul of Tarsus, who ends up becoming St. Paul or Paul, ends up going after Christians in this region, trying to condemn them and kill them and um, stop the movement of Jesus. So basically what I'm saying is Jesus, uh, the book of James is written to believers and most of them are Jewish believers and that's why he says uh, it's written to Jewish believers scattered abroad. So that's, that's the beginning part and there's more that we can talk about but I really want to spend some time on other things. So let's move forward. Here's the other thing that stands out to me as I read this. It says, a slave of God. Maybe yours says bondservant or servant of God. But I really want you to think about this. Is that how you see your relationship with Christ? As a slave? As a bondservant? As a servant of God? Think about that for a second. If you're a slave, you have no entitlement, you have no ownership, you have no opinions, you can't really be selfish because nothing's about you. A slave or a bondservant eats, sleeps, and works and lives at the home of the master or owner. All the profits and all the benefit of your work is for the owner's namesake. Is that how you feel about your relationship with God? Here's what it says. A slave works for the profit and name of the owner. He is the ultimate benefactor. That's how our relationship with Christ should be. A slave works for the profit and owner of Christ, a bondservant of Christ, because he is the ultimate benefactor. So here's one of my first points I want you to think about. Here's the mindset that I have in my faith, and hopefully this is what you have. I need to have a servant mentality in my faith walk with Christ. I need to have my servant, a servant mentality as I walk in my faith walk with God and Christ. That's important. I need to realize it's not about me. And everything I have, it's not mine, it's His. And if I understand that, my faith will work very well. And I will have a fruitful life with Jesus Christ. Here's what verse 2 says. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. I want to talk a little bit about faith here and the works of faith because this sermon series is called Faith Works and we're trying to make our faith work for the kingdom of God. This book almost didn't make it in the Bible because many thought it was going against what the Apostle Paul was writing. Even theologians up in the last 100 or 200 years have kind of thought James' writing was contradictory to what Paul was writing. But the truth is, if we look at Paul and James um, and their writings together, we can see that no, Paul was actually in the same place that James was. James was talking about works of faith. Paul was talking about faith and grace, but they both work together. Paul would say that we are not justified by works, but we are saved by grace. That's Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9, and I'll get that in a second. But he, but he would say that we are justified for works. We are not justified by works, but we are justified for works. Let me read that to you so that you can understand what Paul would say, and you'll see how it syncs up well with what James is saying. Here's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. God saved you by His grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Your faith is a gift and you can't take credit for it. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done. So none of us can boast about it. Faith is a gift. 
Unlike any other religion where they require you, you to do something to honor that God or deity, the only thing we need to do is open up our heart and receive this beautiful free gift. That's all I have to do in Christ to have a right relationship with God. But here's the second part that really kind of exemplifies what James is writing in his book. Paul writes this, for we are God's masterpiece. Do you feel like that? You and I are God's masterpiece. I love that verse. He has created a new in Christ. He has created us a new in Christ Jesus. So we can do good things that he has planned long ago. He has created us anew so that we can do good things for him long ago. He wants us to do good things because we received this salvation and faith. God is doing a great work in us. So let me kind of sum it up with this saying. It says, faith is the root of salvation. Works are the fruit of the spirit in lieu of salvation. Let me say that again. Faith is the root of salvation. Works are the fruit of the spirit in lieu of salvation. Because of salvation. So I have faith and it's rooted in salvation. And because of that, I should have fruit growing off my tree in lieu of my salvation. Those should be right works for the kingdom of God. Let me say it another way so maybe you'll get it this way. God looks down on us from heaven and he sees our heart. He knows if we believe or if we don't believe. And you will be justified by your faith on if you believe or don't believe because God knows exactly where your heart is. We call this the justification of faith. But on the flip side, your neighbor looks at you and only sees what you are doing. So your neighbor judges you by your works. This is the fruit of our faith. This is really what James is trying to communicate. If you have faith, James is preaching to believers like me and you, people who already believe. If you have faith, you should have works in your life that are the fruit of the Spirit and are beneficial to the kingdom of God. And this is what James wants us to learn. Let's continue. It says, When troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know your, when your faith is tested, uh, your endurance has a chance to grow. This is an important part. When trouble comes your way, how do you deal with it? Let me ask you it this way. What is your faith producing right now? What is your faith producing? Is your faith productive? Don't just say yes because I'm a Christian because that's not necessarily always true. Really think about what is the fruit that's coming because of my faith. Let me just give it to you this way. When trials or troubles hit, do you have joy? Because that's what the text is telling us. Can you find joy in the midst of this COVID-19 stay-at-home order? It was tough for me at the beginning because I'm not a homebody. I like to go out and do things. So for me to be at home was a struggle, but it took me a couple weeks and until I started to find true joy because I started to work on my single focus with God and he started to reward me with a joyful walk, even in the midst of a trial at a, uh, like the stay-at-home order. God has good in mind for you and me. Do you realize that? God has good in mind for you and me. James here is speaking about the attitude of the heart towards trials. What's your attitude of your heart towards this trial? The Greek word joy is hara here, and this joy word indicates you get joy from the trial that you've gone through. Does that make sense? 
I am to get joy because of the trial that I'm going through. As I studied this word hara, I found out maybe 45 or 50 verses that use this Greek word in the New Testament that show us how we get joy in the midst of trial. I got a slide with a couple of verses that I want to put up so that you can see what I'm talking about. In John chapter 16, verse 21 Right before that, Jesus is talking about him having to die and going to the cross, but three days later, he's going to rise. And then he uses this illustration and uses this word joy or hurrah to give us a better understanding. It says this, it would be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. When her child has born, her anguish or her trial gives way to the joy because she has brought a new baby into this world. Now, some people love being pregnant. I, so, I know some women are like, I just love having a baby in that nine months. Not everybody uh, has that feeling. But no matter what, the last day or two before the child is born, it's a trial. Uh, the contractions and all of that, it's a hardship for any human being. And the women are so strong to go through this process. But here's what it says. She gives away from her anguish or her trial and finds joy because she's brought us new life into this world. That kind of shows us what uh, this, this hurrah, uh, joy from trial means. Here's another one about Jesus. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 12, verses 2 says, Because of the joy awaiting him, he, Christ, endured the cross disregarding shame Christ knew that there was a trial going before him to die on the cross and be persecuted and go through that horrible criminals death but he endured it because he knew the joy for all of us would far outweigh what he had to endure on the cross that's the hurrah that we're talking about and here's the last one uh, resurrection Sunday, the women go and they see that Jesus has risen. He's not there. And Matthew 28, 8 says, the women, the women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened. There was a trial going on because of the death in the last couple of days of what had happened. But they were also filled with great joy. The trial that they went through while Jesus died upon the cross and when they saw that he resurrected went from this place of, of, of scared and frightened mindset to a place of joy. God uses trials to help us grow. Does that mean he's mean? No. That just means he's a father. I don't know what kind of father you had, but fathers use things in our life to teach us lessons. And if you had a good father, he would probably constantly uh, teach you uh, lessons as you were growing up. I know that my father did, and I'm sure that happened to you if you had a father in the home. A father uses times in our life to teach us lessons, and that's what he does through these trials. Though trials that are meaningless and suffering that is senseless and testing that's irrational... If that's happening and it's not being used for good, it's useless. But if God is using trials and suffering and testing for good, it's beneficial and it really grows our faith and it should produce joy. Joy happens to be one of the fruits of the Spirit in the Bible. Now, if you don't know what, what I'm talking about, write this biblical address down, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, and go and read the verses uh, 22 and 23 and maybe the verses around it so you can understand what I'm talking about the fruits of the spirit now let's switch to uh, endurance let's talk a little bit about endurance my faith and your faith needs endurance faith is a long distance thing the Bible talks about it being a marathon 
It's running a marathon. Now, a marathon is 26.2 miles. And if you're a runner, you realize that's a long distance. And faith is a long distance from the day you accept this salvation and until, until the day that you walk into the arms of Jesus. This is a marathon and our faith needs endurance. Leo Tolstoy of War and Peace gives us a good understanding and a good uh, picture in our head about what this looks like. Here's what he writes. A man on a thousand mile walk has to forget his goal and say to himself every morning, today I'm going to cover 25 miles and then rest up and sleep. That's a picture of what it looks like to walk a faithful walk in Christ. Each morning I've got to get up and go, I'm just going to walk the miles that I need to walk the way that God wants me to walk and then I'm going to rest and sleep and do it again. That's a lot of miles to walk and that's a good image for us to understand what it looks like to walk a faithful life with Jesus Christ. You and I need to develop our endurance so that we can have a greater faith so that when trials come our way, we can find it pure joy. This COVID-19 stay-at-home order will pass soon. Might be in a couple weeks, might be in a month or two. But here's what's going to happen. Things are going to have new challenges in life because the way that COVID-19 is reacting in the, in the community is changing the way that we do a lot of things. So though the stay-at-home order might go away, there's going to be new challenges and trials that we have to endure and our faith needs to endure that. So we need to let our faith grow. Here's what verse 4 says. Let it grow for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete needing nothing. Man, I love those last few verses. When my faith grows, I have this endurance that is developed, fully developed, and it allows me to be perfect and complete, needing nothing. I want that in my life, and I'm growing towards that, where nothing in this world is going to be um, more important than my faith, that sole focus in Jesus Christ. So the question as I read this is, how do I grow my endurance? Well, I like to trail run. I hate running on the streets. It's boring to me and it's not fun. And so when I run on the streets, I can run for a mile or two. But when I go out into the trails at like Santa Rosa or Chumash or the trails on uh, PCH, man, I get to be like a billy goat and I love to run up and down hills. And the only, the only problem is, is I've learned, I've needed to see that I have to grow my endurance in my running. Well, I was looking up at a blog a couple of days ago and I, I, I was looking, how do I en uh, grow my endurance so that I can be a long distance runner or a better runner? And it gave me three points that I want to talk about in our own Christian walk. And here's those three points. How do I grow my endurance? Number one, it said, be consistent. If I'm a runner, I've got to run three or four times a week to really grow my endurance. As a Christian, I need to be consistent in everything I do. I've been doing some things since the beginning of my faith walk, and they have been read, pray, serve, tithe. I've been worshiping God. I've been loving others. I've been sharing the good news. I've been caring for people. I need to be consistent in those things, and my faith will grow, and I will learn to endure whatever comes my way. The first thing that I need to do is I need to be consistent to grow my endurance. The second thing is, as a runner, I need to do, they call it short sprints. What that means is I need to raise the intensity of my workout. 
So if you were running, they would say, run 40 yard, a 40 yard dash or a 100 yard dash and then take a break and then do it again over and over and that would build the intensity of your workout and your heart rate and you would, you would over time grow to be able to have a, a, your heart rate go at a longer pace. What does that mean for Christianity? I need to grow the intensity of my faith on a short time scale so that I can make that work over time. Does that make sense? Let me give you an example. Maybe you're not doing very well right now in your faith. I'm telling you, you need to do some short sprints. So for the next seven days, read the book of James every day or at least four or five times this week. It's only a five chapter book. If you're a slow reader, it might take you 20 or 25 minutes. If you're a fast reader, you can knock it out in 10 or 15 minutes. But start doing these short sprints and you will see over uh, the seven days that you can do more and you can be more consistent with this reading and it will start to help you grow and have this enduring faith that you need. Here's the last one it said, and this one was kind of funny. It says, you just need to learn to run longer. If you're running and you want to go from one mile or three miles to five miles, you just need to make a commitment today, I'm going to run longer. I'm going to make a, make it a goal that I'm just going to go five miles today. I'm not going to worry about my pace. I'm going to uh, do it as easy as possible. If it takes me 15 minutes a mile, I'm just going to make it happen and I'm going to go the five mile route. That's what we're supposed to do. I need to have this long range focus and I just need to make a commitment that this is what I'm going to do. And isn't that what you need to do in your faith as well? You need to make that long term, long range commitment. I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to be a Christian. I'm going to die in the arms of Jesus doing the best I possibly can. And that's what God wants for you. You know, one of the things that I've done, one of the things that has really impacted me is I've tried to live one day at a time, knowing that if I do what I'm supposed to do today and I do it consistently, that I will get to five years down the road, 10 years down the road, 15 down, years down the road, and I will see that my life will uh, will be changed forever. I, that's what's happened the first 15 years in ministry and I know it will continue to happen if I just do that 25 mile walk like Tolstoy said in that quote from War and Peace. I've just got to get up and go, I'm going to do 25 miles a day. I'm going to rest and then I'm going to sleep and I'm going to do it again and do that on a long range focus and your life and your faith will endure. An enduring faith, the Bible says, makes us complete. When my faith endures, I am walking in a place of wholeness and completeness with Christ. It can't be done overnight, but it can be done. If you look up the synonym for endurance, the word patience or long-suffering comes up. And you know what patience or long-suffering is? It also is a fruit of the Spirit. James is pointing out to us that joy and endurance or patience is a fruit of the Spirit and that's how my faith really works. Isn't that impactful? Isn't that powerful? That's something that we need to understand. Now I want to switch to this concept of wisdom as we close out this sermon today. Here's what it says in verse 5. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and He will give it to you. If you need wisdom, ask God. He's generous and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for what you're asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith uh, is in God alone. That goes back to my first point. As when your faith is solely focused on God, that's when it works the best. 
best. My faith works best when God is my sole focus. And when you need wisdom, ask God. He is generous. And that brings me to another point that I want to highlight here for a second. Wisdom is a prayer that God will answer daily. I've learned this a long time ago. I remember, I remember being in seminary. When I first heard this, I was blown away. I want to live in the prayers and I want to have the prayers that are answered daily. God guarantees this prayer and you need to realize that God will answer your prayer or request for wisdom each and every time you ask, ask it. He wants to do that. And it said in the text, it says, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking for wisdom. Now, the week after Easter, I went through James a couple times because I knew that this sermon series was coming up. And then after I did my devotion in James, I started on 1 Kings. And in, in 1 Kings chapter 3, Solomon becomes the king after King David dies. Now, in the middle of his, in, in James, uh, 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5, there's this moment where Solomon has a dream. And in that dream, he encounters God and God asks him, What do you want? Ask me anything and I will give it to you. And it's just like what James is writing in uh, verse 5 in James chapter 1. Ask, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God. So in this dream, he says, Ask me anything you want and I will give it to you. And so what Solomon says in this dream, he says, is, Lord, you have been so good to me and my father. You're so good to me now that I am now the king of your people. Even though I'm a child, I need help in the midst of leading your people in the nation of Israel. And here's what it says in verse 9, 1 Kings verse 9. And I'm not going to read all of this, but here's what it says. Give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? Here's what Solomon asks. He says, Lord, give me wisdom so that I can govern your people. And God is elated by this. And he goes through this. And just because of time, I'm not going to read it all. But I'll just tell you the story. As God hears this, he is so excited and he says, because you've asked for wisdom and understanding, I'm going to give you the, the greatest wisdom and understanding of any human that's ever lived. I'm going to give that to you. And because you didn't ask for anything selfishly, you didn't ask for your enemies to be defeated, you didn't ask for money or power, I'm going to also give you riches and power like no human has ever had on earth up until that point. And so Solomon, because he asked for wisdom, receives all these blessings and beyond because of that. He becomes the wisest man ever to live and one of the richest man ever to live. But here's what it says at the very end, verse 14. And this is important. And if you follow me and obey my decrees and my commands as your father, David did, I will give you a long life. Well, I'll tell you this, Solomon did live a long life, but he sure didn't follow the decrees and uh, obey God. He was very disrespectful to God, and ultimately he ended up having a, divide, a divided loyalty between God and this world. Listen to what it says in verse 6. It says, Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Do not waver, it says, for a person with divided loyalty is unsettled like the ocean. You ever seen the ocean during a storm? It is unsettling. 
Then it says in verse 7, Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. So here's what happened to our young Solomon. He became divided between the world. He had this love for women. He had more wives and more concubines than anyone I've ever heard of. I'm sure somebody tried to beat him, but he had 3,000 concubines and 1,000 wives or something like that. Women became a huge part of his journey. And that's not really what God wanted for him. He brought these foreign women in and they brought their foreign gods and they started to take his focus off Yahweh and onto other things and other gods. Power also took him out of the will of God and money. People were all over the world wanted to come and see him and, and, and see his wealth and his knowledge and power. And it really took the focus off God and put the focus on him. Remember this quote, my faith works best when my focus is solely on God. My faith works best when my right relationship with God is my focus. All these little things in life will work out if my faith is solely focused on God. Solomon's story can be all of ours. Do you realize that? Lust and greed and fascination of the world, we all can fall victim to that. It will divide and destroy each and every one of us, even if we're faithful Christians. Over the 15 years I've been in ministry, I've seen people that are so close to the Lord, so, uh, clinging, uh, so close and clinging to Him, that I thought they would never drift away. But something happened in their life. These worldly desires and distractions started to drift and destroy their relationship with God. They brought in an unhealthy relationship. Their career became their dominance. The negative influence from media and from other people took them out of the will of God. And sadly, some people have allowed a trial, maybe a death or a divorce or some sort of trial that they've gone through, take them right out of the will of God and allow them to live a place of disgruntled defeat instead of uh, victory in Jesus Christ. It's been sad to watch. And I can point to 15 or 20 people that I know recently in the last few years that have had this happen. And they're not living in the joy because of the trial. They're living in defeat. And that's not what God wants for us. And James is trying to build uh, us into a better Christian so that we can practically walk through whatever trial uh, that we're going through. If it's this COVID-19 or whatever you're going through, we are learning these practical tools from James and it should help us grow to become better Christians. As you become divided or as we become divided between God and the world, as James writes, things of God become less important. His word and prayer become less important. You stop going to church as much. The fellowship of Christ isn't important. And all of a sudden, you know, six months, a year, two years go by and you really don't have any faith with God because you've allowed the world to become a huge distraction. Even though we still might believe, we sure don't have this strong, enduring faith because there's this distance between our heart and God. Solomon's ungrateful, disloyal action and attitude, despite being the wisest, most blessed man on earth, ultimately has him lose favor with God. And I don't know if you know the story, but his son, Rehoboam, when he becomes king, 
he gets a divided kingdom. There's now a northern Israel and a southern Israel, and it's divided because the way that Solomon lived his life. He is the wisest man. He was the richest man. He was the most powerful man, and it still didn't buy him or get him into a right relationship with God. Over time, his divided loyalties brought him into a place of distance and disconnect with God and ultimately divided Israel and the kingdom of God for an extended amount of time. This isn't a happy story. It's a terrible story. But it's how we're going to close today. The question is this. Ask God, where am I divided this week? Ask him what's worldly in my life and what's godly and ask him to, to, to show you the differences so that you can have that right relationship with God. I want to put up my three points as we close out today. And here's the, the things I want you to remember. Ask God for wisdom is a prayer. Asking God for wisdom is a prayer that God will answer every day. When you ask God, for wisdom. He wants to answer that every day. That's point one. The second point is trials in my life help my faith grow and should produce joy. When I have trials in my life, they grow my faith, my endurance, and that should produce joy. And the one that I've been saying over and over again is this, my faith works best when it's my sole focus. As we close out today, my hope is that your faith is, is stronger than it was just a few minutes ago. And I want you right now to get in a place of prayer. Open up your heart and ask God to use this time to grow your faith and grow your walk so that you can endure with Jesus Christ. But even better, if you don't know Christ, I'm going to give you an opportunity to put him into your heart and make him your Lord and Savior. And I promise you, your life will be forever changed and you will see a, a life and a, a life with Christ uh, more fruitful than you could ever imagine. So let's just spend some time and close in prayer. Father, we are so grateful and thankful for who you are. Lord, show me where I'm divided. Lord, show us as a church where we are divided from the world and you and show us how to resolve that so we can have this enduring faith. Lord, I ask that you give us joy as we're going through this trial and these troubling times in our world. And I pray right now, Lord, that you are enduring our faith and helping us grow in the joy of you and who you are. We love you, Lord, and we pray that you will give us a blessed life beyond today in your name. I also want to pray for those that don't know Jesus. If you're watching today, if you've just tuned in and you want this new life to be a masterpiece and a workmanship of God and you want your life to be beneficial to the world, if you're here right now and you're watching or streaming this, I want you just to invite Christ into your heart. Let the Holy Spirit take over and put Christ first. And all you have to do is repeat a simple prayer and you'll be part of His kingdom. The prayer goes like this. Father, forgive me. Come into my heart, come into my soul, and be my Lord and Savior. I know that you died and you rose again so that I may have eternal life. I thank you for that, Lord. Give me faith that will endure. Holy Spirit, take over my life and teach me how to walk all the days in my life with you. I love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.